when you really have a team, when people are really supporting one another, this is what medicine needs to be. This is the model. And this is how things change. When we have a model, then we can replicate the model. But this is clearly the model of the future. And deep down, I think a lot of people know that. And if we can model what that needs to look like, then, then others can replicate it. You're listening to Eat for Life, the show that aims to help you identify the root causes of what ails you so you can heal and live the life you are meant for. I'm your host, Sammy G. Welcome back to part two of Sarah's story. Today, we dive deeper into the underlying biochemical imbalances that were causing Sarah's severe anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation that led to two hospitalizations and two suicide attempts. We discuss the importance of a comprehensive wellness evaluation with a team of practitioners that includes counseling, biochemical testing, nutrient therapy, and dietary therapy as well as other forms of support that include movement, meditation, and other mindfulness practices. We also talk about the importance of this new model of healthcare and not only preventing disease, but also in saving a life, a new model that is truly supportive of the patient rather than dismissive. Perry Passaro, PhD, is a licensed psychologist and a diplomate in cognitive therapy. He works with children, families, adolescents, and adults at the Anxiety and Depression Treatment Center in Newport Beach, California. He specializes in the treatment of behavioral disorders, anxiety spectrum disorders, mood disorders, PTSD, and addiction. Dr. Pissarro has been identified as one of the top 10 psychologists in Orange County, California. Dr. Mensa is co-founder of Mensa Medical in Warrenville, Illinois, a clinic that specializes in the treatment of biochemical imbalances and the cognitive and physical disorders caused by those imbalances. Since 2005, Dr. Mensa has treated over 30,000 patients using all-natural, non-pharmaceutical, targeted nutrient therapy and is a world-renowned leader in orthomolecular medicine. His practice focuses on the management and treatment of cognitive disorders, such as autism, behavior and learning disorders, eating disorders, bipolar disorder, anxiety syndromes, childhood and adult schizophrenia, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease, as well as family medicine. Dr. Mensa regularly presents at international conferences, trains physicians in advanced nutrient therapy techniques, and is board certified in integrative pediatrics by the American Association of Integrative Medicine. Dr. Passaro, in your field of psychology, and we've had those conversations as well, what I've been terming the the failure of the system. I would love your input here. You know, we talked about how the system fails Sarah, you know, which again, I absolutely can relate to, but the system as a whole, from your perspective and in, in the area of psychology and as a psychologist, what are your thoughts there? Well, I, you know, I absolutely agree with both of you. And it's really, I think it, it comes back to an issue of training I think that my understanding, and, and Dr. Mensa can certainly speak to this, is that physicians just aren't trained in, in nutrition. They're not trained in nutrient therapy. They're not trained in even the biochemistry that we're talking about. And so I can't speak to that, but he certainly can. But I can talk about the fact that in my training as a psychologist, we have no training in this. None. Mm-hmm. 
zero. And if you if you kind of think about it from a psychological standpoint, if if we we're referred our clients usually, you know, from a, a primary care physician or a psychiatrist, perhaps a neurologist, an internist. And when they come to us, we're taught to assume that the physician has really comprehensively sort of ruled out any kind of medical condition. Mm. And what I find not infrequently is that that's just not true. Mm-hmm. I mean, people that come to me with anxiety and depression, and I find out that no one's ever really even looked at a hormone panel. You know, the example of of postpartum depression is such a great example that, you know, okay, here's a person that has no depressive history, and then they're going through IVF, and then all of a sudden they're depressed. And Mm -hmm. then they're sent to us with the diagnosis of, well, yeah, she's just depressed because she's not pregnant. How about the hormones may have possibly had a huge effect here? Did anybody really think of that? And, and I, I think that we all sort of have that assumption that that's going on, but that's not necessarily the case. And I think thinking of, of you know, kind of going back to Sarah for a minute, it takes us so long to be open to the idea mm. that we might be wrong that there might be another way. And and that's just, that's really the root of the problem. When you think I'm right and there is no other way. I remember when I brought this issue up to the psychiatrist, who's a wonderful person and very well trained, and one of the the more open-minded ones, and and he said to me, well, that's not going to work. That's How's that going to work? But, you know, but he agreed that nothing else has worked, so... You know, I I guess it won't hurt to try, but I don't think it's going to work. But even getting to that point, I've had so many physicians I've talked to about these ideas and they're going, I can't support that. That's not good science. It's it's not so, but that's the thinking and moving beyond that thinking is, is really the systemic problem, I think. Thank you for, for sharing that, Dr. Pissarro, because it's amazing to me, and I know we're, we're getting into the area of ego here, right? And my way is the right way. And without looking at, there's many shades of gray, especially when you're treating someone that has a variety of symptoms, a variety of, of health challenges, not only cognitively, but also physically. You know, you mentioned hormones and IVF and then postpartum. Well, if we take that a step further, what's happening with copper? Because we know the relationship between estrogen and copper. And again, I know these things aren't out there in the mainstream yet, like we would like them to be, but just being open, a physician being open and saying, well, I think that we need to look in these other areas. To your point, yes, let's look at a hormone panel. Let's look at the thyroid panel. Even a CBC can be really could give us a lot of really good data. Is is the patient anemic? That's a big one that I am seeing a lot of people aren't checking. And then to go deeper and really looking at that chemistry piece to give us those clues and to, to really help us see the patient and understanding why they're suffering in this way is so huge. So I, I really appreciate your your insight and your input there and your desire, your strong desire for wanting things to change. And of course, being here with us so that we can have this conversation. You know, I'm really curious, first of all, how Sarah's doing today. And then I also want to talk about any steps that doctors can take 
to support their patients. You, Dr. Pissarro, you spoke beautifully into, you know, just ordering some even basic blood work, looking at, you know, hormones, et cetera. That's a great place to start. But how can we come together, all of us, whether you're in nutrition or whether you're a physician or a psychologist or a psychiatrist, whatever, you know, modality in which you practice, how can we come together to really support our patients? And I'll let both, I'd love both of your inputs here. Having had some, I'm going to slightly deviate here. Having had some work done on, on a home not too long ago, I saw the efficiency of an individual who had a team and how they could expeditiously correct problems, rebuild, or even build an entire structure, as opposed to somebody trying to find 25, 30 different people to do one task. What we strive for even now is to look to build that central core group, if you will, or institution that now adds, becomes a, a central point with spokes, and those spokes represent the different physicians, the different uh, therapists, the different uh, nutritionists, and to perhaps build smaller units of cohesive interlacing networks that can mm -hmm. each be referred to. So, you know, Sarah number two comes into focus. Ah, so we contact the system. The system says, here is your therapist, your nutritionist, and your physician, and then your orthomolecular guy. Okay, and they're going to all work together as a team to address your challenge. What a blessing that would be. And I think that's the model that certainly we've been looking to try to help create. And no one person, no one institution can take care of the entire planet. That, that's not going to happen. Okay. Yes. But gosh, if we had many singular individuals working together in all aspects of this, we could do some major, major, huge work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we have to really start looking together to put together teams, even if it's a West Coast team and an East Coast team and a Midwest team or X number of them. I think we can do some great work. And there are some functional medicine clinics that are embodying this approach. And I think it's it's wonderful. I think what what's, you know, going back to Sarah and so many of our patients, what's heartbreaking is that the norm still is that it takes two years inpatient, outpatient, suicide attempts, you know, massive despair, massive shame. I mean, just to even get to the point where a doctor is going to say, well, I don't think that's going to work, but but I guess you can try it because we tried all these other things and, and they're not working. It's just this really nonchalant way of of, of not even supporting the patient. I mean, it's just indifference, really. My hope and my prayer are for our future generations is that we get rid of that indifference and that, as you shared, we come together and we can say, yes, we've got Dr. Pissarro who's doing cognitive behavioral therapy. He's doing EMDR and other therapies. He's got a, a whole practice of clinicians. We've got uh, doctors Mensa and Bowman at Mensa Medical doing uh, the biochemical therapy. There's myself doing the dietary therapy and anyone else that can be on board and a part of our team. And it just happens immediately. We get people immediately, we support them, and they know that they have a team. And that that right there is everything with, with healing. Dr. Pissarro, I'd like you to speak into that as well. 
Well, well, obviously, I, I agree. You know, when when we talk about this at my office, I think I think we all know this is the future, and I think you know it goes back to what Dr. Mensa was saying with about Dr. Lister, and before Dr. Lister, there was Dr. Schemmelweis. Yeah, and and you know these um, these changes come about slowly. Evolution is a is a slow process of change, but the thing that will change it are really conversations like we're having now. And being able to present cases to people, to be able to show examples of how there's truth in in what's being said here today. And Mm -hmm. that over time, truth wins. Mm -hmm. And and we have to be consistent, yet patient, but continuing to to do our best to to share information for those that are ready to hear it. Mm -hmm. And certainly Sarah's family was. And because of that, we're in a fundamentally different place. And her psychiatrist was willing to also accept and be open to the idea that none of the treatments had worked. Mm. Dr. Pissarro, how is Sarah doing today? Mm -hmm. Well, instead of making my own comment, I'll, I'll quote what the psychiatrist said to me. He said, I've been working with her for four years. And I've seen more progress in three months with Dr. Mensa's treatment than I've seen in four years of my treatment. Wow. That's humility. That's what we need. Yes. yes. I, want, I want to share with you something about Dr. Pissarro. After our, I'm a big science fiction fan, so I, I think about things in terms of Star Trek and so forth. And uh, the first episode of, of the next generation of Star Trek was called The Encounter at Farpoint. And when I hear those words, when I think of Dr. Passaro, that's exactly the, the, the phrase that comes to me The Encounter at Farpoint. Way back in my own history, I don't remember a time where I thought I'd be saying to someone, Gosh, Dr. Passaro, I need someone like you to work with us. That's a, a very circuitous pathway because growing up in traditional medicine, we say, me, MD, you psychologist, you, whatever else you do, so be it, good luck. And there's no bridging of these pathways. And very quickly after my, my humbling experience at the original Pfeiffer Treatment Center, now closed and meeting Dr. Walsh, and a world-class psychiatrist, Dr. Robert DeVito, both my, my mentors. That led us down a path where when I first encountered Dr. Passaro, and I spoke to this really brilliant gentleman, I said, look, I said, Perry, with his permission, I called him Perry. <laughs> I said, you're so much what we need. I said, We've been talking now for years about building bridges. And Dr. Passaro will tell you, for a while, I was kind of hounding him. When are you going to be licensed in Illinois? You've got people in California. You can help them, but we need you out here. We were just talking about that, yes. <laughs> and that happened. And we, we've been joyfully anticipating this meeting because what that does is it now takes that paradigm that we were talking about before and bridging the gap. So now that team is available irrespective of who starts the process off. If I started off and, and I say, look, contact Samantha, but Dr. Passaro is waiting for you, okay? He's the man you need to talk to or, or in any other direction. It is there for us. And this is not really about pride, about ego, about looking to 
feed the pockets of somebody that we know. This mm-hmm. is quite the opposite. We got together because the people that I've encountered, Samantha and, and Dr. Passaro, are stellar at what they do. Stellar. They are cut above and they are unique individuals. And this is a powerful team effort. And while Dr. Passaro, I'm not going to continue hounding you. I know you update us particularly on when things are ready. But for our California patients, hey, he's here. This is the guy yes. you want to talk to. Okay. Yes. When they ask us, I say, Dr. Passaro. So, folks, I'm bringing this up because here we are actually putting into practice now what we've been talking about. Okay. The recognition of, look, this is not a model where one person does everything. We don't gain absolute resolution by, by either the orthomolecular or the GI or trying to affect the mind. We've got to have all parts of this spinning together, and that's what we're trying to do. Again, Dr. Brasaro, I'm so excited to have met you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we both are. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I appreciate you, you, um, you sharing that. Dr. Menson, what comes to mind when when I hear that is we need to do these things without delay, without delay. Look at where we are right now in our country and the United States of America with the, the coronavirus and with civil unrest. And if we had just taken action earlier, where would we be? And it's the same with our patients. If we have our team ready and we are all in in contact with one another about a particular patient, it happens without delay and that life can be saved. And that's why we do what we do. Do you ever wonder what's going on inside your body? What's happening to make you feel cranky, anxious, depressed, or lethargic? What chemicals might be aggravating your ADHD, OCD, or disordered eating? I'd love to help you get a head start on identifying and addressing the underlying condition that's leading you to feel less than your best. Get started by taking my free life assessment. It takes five minutes or less, and it's a great place to begin understanding what your unique biochemistry might be. After you take my assessment, check out the corresponding cookbook I've created. Match your unique biotype to its cookbook with 25 recipes, including breakfast, lunch, dinner, appetizers, and desserts. You'll find a cookbook for each of the unique biotypes I work with. Zinc deficiency, copper overload, over and under methylation, and pyrrol disorder. You'll also find a meal planner to make this process easy and enjoyable. My recipes are free of grains, gluten, dairy, with the exception of ghee, which can be substituted, refined sugar, nuts, and soy. Remember, to get started, go to eat4.life and click the free assessment tab at the top to start your healing journey today. Back to Sarah, I think, Dr. Pissarro, you had mentioned that she's now working full-time. Did I understand that correctly? Yes, actually uh, she is. She's working full-time from home for her uh, family business, participating there and exercising. Um, Sleep schedule is um, much more normalized. uh, Throughout the the years that I knew her prior to to Dr. Mintz's treatment, she was sleeping as much as 18 hours a day. Was not eating, was significantly underweight, really. I I used to speak to the psychiatrist regularly, and we would talk about the fact that she was basically constantly on suicide watch. Yes. And so really 
significant, significant differences. There are still some problems, but I mean, she's only three months into this treatment. Yeah, that's amazing. And what really turned that around was that Dr. Mensa took my phone call. Mm. <laughs> yeah. What an amazing doctor actually takes phone calls. Wow. What a concept, you know, it, it really was, you know, I mean, I called his center to, to try to facilitate an intake and his nurse was kind enough to allow me to talk to him. And that's um, what opened the door to this conversation today. And mm -hmm. so his willingness to do that, and he's taken many of my calls and that's really, it comes back to what we're talking about here. When you really have a team, when people are really supporting one another this is what medicine needs to be. And we don't have this shit, but this is the model. And, and this is how things change. When we have a model, then we can replicate the model. But this is clearly the model of the future. And, and deep down, I think a lot of people know that. And if we can model what that needs to look like, then, then others can replicate it. Yeah, and something as simple as taking a call you know, even if it's, and, and Dr. Mensa has been wonderful with me in this regard as well, where we're able to jump on the phone, even at, you know, very late hours to either review a case or to, you know, um, whatever was appropriate at the time. But, but again, being able to be open, I, I just, I keep thinking of this, this phrase without delay, without delay, because it keeps coming, you know, into my, in my mind, how important, and that's how we're going to save lives rather than just passing people off and just saying, oh, you know, whatever, we'll try this. And we'll it just that indifference. So I appreciate you you sharing that. Well, we have a, a gosh, I love innovation. And I, I do have to comment. And I, I listen, I, I can't speak enough about the both of you. I really can't. I mean, both amazing. You both think out of the box. And let's look at what Dr. Passaro did with all due humility he thought outside of the box. Yes. That's the same mentality that Carl Pfeiffer had, who was sick and tired of seeing people on, on, on the psych ward on drugs and zombied out. He said, there's got to be a reason for this. And he took those steps to, to, to seek out something new. This is, is so much the key here and thinking outside of that box. And that's where we're all looking to do as a team. As Dr. Walsh would say, we have tons of data. Yeah. We have tons of data. We have yes. so much data and not enough manpower to go through that data um, the way we would like. I can tell you right now, we could easily do 20 to 25 different studies on the data available at Mensa Medical alone. Now, we, we had a lovely young lady who is actually the daughter of Dr. Bowman's sorority sister, and she's going to medical school. That's her goal. She's a senior in college. And she decided she wanted to do some um, independent research. And we said, well, what are your interests? And she said, well, I'm really interested in schizophrenia and autism, which is why we contacted you. And I said, oh, my mouth just started salivating. I said, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> you know, we've got so much data. We've seen tons of schizophrenics and so many autistic children. What's your interest? And she told me we talked. And I said, listen, I can tell you now what the answers are. But I want you to discover for yourself. And what we'll do is we'll give you our database. You create your own null hypothesis. You create your own paradigm of assessment. I will assist you. Tell me what you want to do. And then you can see the conclusions for yourself. So 
this young lady, she decided she wanted to do 100 patients. And as she dealt with the, the population of schizophrenics and their medication issues and so forth, she's been seeing the chemistry. And as we've shared with her, she herself came to me and said, Dr. Mensa, you're absolutely right. More than 85 to 90% of these individuals have this particular type of methylation going on. And that's what she was focusing on, just that one piece. And so she quickly moved through it. And in about two to three weeks, she had the answer she was looking for already. And so now she's turned her mind to autism because she only had a summer to kind of do this. And so now she's combing through our data to look at some key components for autism. And each one of these disorders has several parameters, both individually and in combination, that produce differences in the expression of these pathologies. So it's not that just, okay, you're undermethylated, and so you, you have this kind of schizophrenia. Well, no. You know, there, there are different biotypes of schizophrenia, just like there are different biotypes of depression, okay? We've got copper toxic depression. We've got zinc deficient depression. We've got overmethylated depression. We've got nutrient challenge depression from a dietary perspective. Very bowel depression. We've got thyroid yes. depression. So the, the amazing thing is that now we have a young lady doing her own independent research, looking at it from the data for herself, coming up with the, coming up with the conclusions, and is going to write her lovely little paper. And there we've got documentation. Okay. Much research has been done in many areas, and they're in journals like the Journal of Orthomolecular Medicine. This is not stuff that hasn't been researched. The problem is that the exposure of where that research lies is what is challenging. And for some doctor to sit back and say, and forgive me, I used to be that doctor, right? To say, that's not really been researched properly, and then there's no research on that. What audacity to say there's no research when the entire world is doing research? Google it and see what happens, okay? So, you know, it's, it's good. We're now seeing evidence that is going to be, again, formalized so that people can now go to that research piece and say, aha, there it is. Here are the statistics. Here are the conditions. Do with it what you want to do. Absolutely. And then also looking at Dr. Walsh's work that has been published. It's, yeah, the data is there. So I, I appreciate you, you sharing that with us. I think as we close our time together. This is Suicide Awareness Month, and I really want to speak into how, you know, of course, we've we've been struggling with this pandemic for many months now, but we're living in this time of great fear and panic. And how can we engage with ourselves to overcome fear and better work through situations? Now, I want to preface this with, if you've been struggling for a very long time, like like I did and like Sarah did, with per- some pretty severe biochemical imbalances, then we want to encourage you to reach out to get tested to have an evaluation. But there are also some things that we can do to work through these situations because there's no working around it as we work through and we surrender to what's going on around us that allows us to to work through these things that come up. So Dr. Pissarro, I'd love it if you could share with our listeners some things that could help them work through this fear. Sure, absolutely. There's a uh, particular form of cognitive behavioral therapy treatment called acceptance and commitment therapy, which really highlights exactly what you said, Samantha. And it's it's called ACT. And and ACT is really about this idea of 
how do we really work with, uh, if we take anxiety or mood issues, depression, how do we work with those? And if, if, you, if you think about it, generally the way we go about trying to do that is we try to use willpower, we try to struggle our way through it, which is in a healthier way at least. In other cases, we may try to self-medicate. So there, there are lots of different ways that we go about this. But this, this model called acceptance and commitment therapy is, is a really well-researched uh, uh, methodology. And if I were to really to describe the methodology in the simplest terms, it's the serenity prayer. And let me, I'll just read that. I'm sure everyone's familiar. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time. That statement by a theologian completely aligns to what we understand about best practice in this treatment. And if you, if you unpack the prayer, it tells you several things. Number one, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. This is the idea of resistance versus acceptance. And if we watch closely, and one of the things that we, we try to help people to see is they're resisting, and what they're resisting persists. So yes. when we can help them to see these are things you can't change, whether it's aging and illness and so forth. There, there are going to be things that we have to experience in life, and the more we resist them, the greater the problem they create. So this ability to work with acceptance. The second thing is the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. This is the second part of ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy, and that is making this commitment to live a life that's aligned to our values. It's important that people don't understand it's not just about complete acceptance. I just give up and I don't do anything. No, it's making a commitment to live by our values and and tapping into the wisdom that we do have, but we have a hard time accessing because we're overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed by the world. We're overwhelmed by our own biochemistry, and we're overwhelmed by our emotions really driving our thinking as opposed to being able to to get into a place of wisdom, which can only be reached when we're not overthinking, when we're not judging ourselves, when we're not punishing ourselves. We have to get into a place of calmness and stillness to be able to tap into that wisdom. And when we can do that, and that's such a big part of what this therapy tries to help us to do. The last point in the prayer is this idea of living one day at a time and enjoying one moment at a time. What this is describing is, is really what the, the, the Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh brought to the West, the practice of mindfulness. The, the, the idea of living in the now, living in the present moment, as Eckhart Tolle has described so well, that's where you reduce anxiety. That's where you change mood because what we understand about these things is that anxiety abides in the future in our minds and depression in the past. If we watch closely, depressive thinking is about, I should have, I wish I would have done this. I, you know, We're in the past now. We can't change the past. We have to be able to let go of the past, realizing all of us have made mistakes. 
when we're in the future, it's a future of catastrophe. It's a future that things are going to go very badly. And one of the things that we try to help people to do in our practice, and and what's one of the foundations of acceptance and commitment therapy, is mindfulness, training the mind to stay in the here and now. That practice alone can help reduce anxiety and depression significantly. Yes. So this prayer, you know, is actually a wonderful integration of science and spirituality. And we tend to think that these are two separate things, but really they're not. Just like psychology and orthomolecular medicine are not two separate things, and psychology and diet and and nutrition are are not two separate things. It's all one when we can look at it properly. But if we look at everything through reductionistic science, then everything seems small and separate. But through complexity theory and through more integral ways of thinking, we can see, oh, no, it's all interrelated. It's all one. And we have to educate ourselves and our our patients to see this is not a simplistic problem. And there won't be a simplistic answer. It's just like our societal problems. It's like the economy. It's complex. And the more we try to make this simple, it isn't going to work. Wow, that's powerful. Thank you for taking a beautiful, simple prayer and breaking it down for us and explaining uh, that within this one prayer is so much power, so much joy, so much peace, and that we really have, as human beings, we have that opportunity to engage in this way, regardless of what's going on around us, regardless of the chaos with which we're thrown into. Thank you both for sharing your your wisdom, your great wisdom and your knowledge and your time. I think that many people are going to be blessed by this episode. Thank you for having us. My, My honor to spend time with both of you. As Sarah's psychiatrist said, I've been working with her for four years and I've seen more progress in three months with this treatment than I've seen in four years of my treatment. What a blessing it is that Sarah is now working full time She is much more normalized and is no longer on suicide watch. She has hope and a future. You can find Dr. Pissarro at anxietyanddepressioncenter.com and Dr. Mensa at mensamedical.com. If you are feeling suicidal, please know help is available. I also encourage you to call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Don't miss an episode of Eat for Life. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast player.